Hello, Internet. It's Tori. You're listening to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. For updates on when episodes go live, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. To join the discussion, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash CosmereCast, where you'll find an invitation to our Discord server. Thank you for listening, and please enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. Joining me this week are Craig. Hello. Dave. Hello. And Tori. Hello, Internet. We start every with every week with Good Thing, and we got kind of a special good thing this month. So, Craig, start us off. All right. So, as of this recording, uh, in the United States, we're currently celebrating Black History Month. So, that brings us into the theme uh, of our good things, and everyone can talk about what their good thing will be. Um, but... Uh, as you can imagine, it's celebrating different things in Black history. Um, in my case, uh, I would like to celebrate scientists and inventors. And boy, do I have a good inventor this week. I'm excited, guys. Um, this week, uh, my, my good person is Lonnie Johnson. He is the inventor of my childhood, the Super Soaker and the Nerf Gun. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Like, that is awesome. Uh, it looks like he worked for, uh, he did a United States Air Force term, um, and he was outside NASA for 12 years uh, with JPL. So that's pretty cool. Of course, he's a an engineer, but he came up with the super soaker, guys. Like, it's such a, it's it's so good. It's my childhood. It's awesome. Um, yeah. So he, he's pretty, he's pretty cool. Um, let's see what he's up to now. Uh, you got his number? <laughs> no, no, no. Well, it's, 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 him on the podcast. <laughs> he was only born in in forty nine, so you know it looks like he's he might still be working. So yeah, cool. Hey, Lonnie, have you ever read uh, the Brandon Sanderson books? <laughs> I know you're busy with the whole super soaker thing. I need, but... I need a shard super soaker. <laughs> Wait, maybe yeah. that's that's the thing. Nas has yes, super soaker. He has to fill it up with. Uh, cognitive shadows and pump it and <laughs> dude that's so useful so we thought it was glowing runes but it's actually just like hydraulics and manual pumps yep yep uh, all right that's that's all i got though awesome uh dave uh mike usually i know knows. mike just just went quiet so <laughs> all right um my good person uh this week so for black history month i'm focusing on music and i'm not everyone's doing this, but I'm going to kind of go in order from like farther back in time to more current. So uh, my good person for the first recording in February is Scott Joplin. Uh, Scott Joplin, also known as the King of Ragtime, which uh, is was a pretty popular music genre in very late 1800s in the United States, preceded, uh, even preceded when jazz got really big. And Scott Joplin, his uh, he was a uh, uh, his parents were or his dad was a railroad worker, and you know on their off times, uh, both of his parents were musical. They played instruments, and when he was I think six years old, he started learning to play the piano, and uh, eventually made it to the Chicago World's Fair where. They didn't really let black people perform music at the World's Fair. Uh, however, there were a lot of tourists in the area. And, uh, you know, where do they go when the fair's over? They go to the bars. So uh, he got uh, pretty got um, some recognition while playing piano in bars and, you know, around the area of the Chicago World's Fair. And uh, actually was able to make a career and make a substantial living mostly from uh maple leaf rag which was you know which is like the big number one hit like he was he was like the <laughs> you you think about modern day musicians and how like they make it big or like they got this hit and make a ton of money off it like scott joplin did that in the 1890s early 1900s right so that's really cool uh, the other thing is um, he actually sent some of the money that he made to his former piano teacher uh, and, you know, helped to support him in his old age. And then he also taught piano himself. So uh, really passionate about music and was able to make a career for it for a time. And 
a time where, you know, being a pop musician wasn't really a thing. And in a time where uh, African-Americans in the United States weren't really thought of as, you know, to be uh, people, you know, to <laughs> OK. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, they weren't really they weren't really given as much opportunity. And Scott Joplin, you know, made uh, made some great strides and a lot made a lot of musical influence from that point forward. You know, we see his influence uh, even in modern music. So, yeah, Scott Joplin. Cool so I, I know him as a written the uh, entertainer, which is yep, a song I learned how to play on the piano. And <laughs> if you guys ever watched The Sting, you could hear the entertainer. I mean, you could just look it up. I'm I'm sure you've heard of this song. It's like a really well known old timey song. So shout outs to him. Yeah. All right. Uh, so my good thing this week is well, this month I'm doing um, black directors and. I last minute have decided to change who I'm doing because I saw uh, this new guy's, one of his works, very, very recently, and it was amazing. So I'm going to start off with Jordan Peele. Uh, he oh. directed Get Out and Peele. Us, and he's also famous as a comedian from Key and Peele. Um, but yeah, I just saw Get Out the other day. He's the shorter one with hair? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and... Holy crap, you guys, this movie is so good. I haven't seen Us yet. I I am planning on watching it soon. I have very, very high expectations because Get Out was amazing. So, nice. yeah, I, I watched this movie and then, like, immediately the next day, I was like, hey, to my wife, we need, we need to watch, you need to watch this movie. So we're watching it together tonight, right now. Let's go. And, yeah, if you guys haven't seen it, why not? See, I have not seen that one, but I have seen Us, and uh, it was pretty good. So, so yeah, Jordan Peele, director of Get Out and Us. And I actually didn't got... know he was a director until this week. So. Uh, he's got a third movie that he's currently making. Let me look that up real quick. Uh, yeah, it's called Nope, and it should be pretty good based on, you know, how good the other movie that I've seen was. Is it another horror movie? Because that's how I respond to most horror things. Nope, 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 <laughs> nope. I have to assume so, considering that, you know, Get Out and Us were both horror movies. That that seems to be his, his directorial wheelhouse. I have hopes that, like, at some point in the future he'll start, like, breaking out and doing different genres. But for now, he's he's doing horror and he's doing it real good. So, Tori? Okay, well, this month I am focusing on uh, authors and illustrators. So for my first good person, uh, I want to talk about Christian Robinson, uh, who is an illustrator, a delightful young man. I met him when he came to my library a couple of years ago in the before times uh, and does kind of a collage art style that I'm really fond of. Um, you can find some great examples of his work uh, in Gaston by Kelly DiPuccio, which is, uh, I think I've used that as a good thing before. Uh, it's about a um, French bulldog in a family of poodles. Um, and another one that he's illustrated and, and also um, wrote, it's a, a wordless picture book called Another, which is sort of a sci-fi going through a portal into another world kind of thing. But it's a cute picture book. It's adorable. Um, He's done a whole lot of books. He's a, a really great up-and-coming illustrator uh, that's just started picking up traction in, in the past, uh, I don't know, five or so years. And uh, I look forward to seeing many awesome books from him in the future. Neat. So, Dave? Who, me? No. Different Dave. Yes, Dave. Hi, different Dave. Who, me? Uh, did you read chapters 11 through 15 at some point in the last calendar week? <laughs> uh, of what book? Uh, Rhythm of War, Negative One. Uh, the Frenin novelette? Nah, yeah, that how about, um, Oathbringer? Let's do Oathbringer this week. I mean, if we have to. That's, that's good, because that's what I started reading right now. This book is literally close to my heart, as in I'm holding it up to my chest. Okay. Uh... <laughs> Chapter 11 is titled The Rift. We have Chasm Dropper. Plate feels like thrill. Suspicious. Unite them in matrimony. 
Tanalan Shardbearerson. Tanalan Shardbearer's son. Expandable. What does that say? Expandable. Oh, let me fix this. Expendable. <laughs> I don't. All right. Expendable troops were Dalinar's idea all along, and Sadius took credit for it. They said the thing. So here's an old flashback chap of, uh, you know, back when the high princes used to murder each other's armies and stuff. And Dalinar goes in. He's, uh, at this point, has a shard plate and trying to win himself a shard blade. And he gets one fair and square after murdering a six-year-old child. And that's where we get Oathbringer. That's where we, we got it. Uh, so remember that uh, Dalinar has this, he's basically a D&D barbarian, and he has this thing that he calls the thrill, which is just barbarian rage. And Keep in mind, Adeline has also experienced it, so Adeline it's not just has, yeah. Dal- it's it's a, a lethy thing. I thought maybe it was just a colon thing. Genetic no. barbarianism. They, yeah. Which... It, it's the whole thing, I think they mentioned it before, where they don't like to talk about experiencing the thrill, but Alethis typically experience this while in battle, or at least they did until we saw Dalinar trying to embrace the thrill. Um, I think in Wave Kings, actually, and it just wasn't coming to him. Did you guys know that the word barbarian is is originally a slur? Yes, because they didn't understand the language of the Nordic people, so it just sounded like they were going bar 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 bar. So they called them barbarians. Germanic tribes, and yeah, it's... it's yeah. Are Germanic tribes. Yes, so Roman slur for German folk. There you go, barbarians. Now it's a class in D&D where you get real angry. Mm-hmm. I also want to point out that when I type the word expendable, not expandable, when I type the word expendable on my phone, it suggests a little pawn emoji from chess. Well, that's, <laughs> that's, that's pretty funny. <laughs> And then for some reason, after saying expendable and putting the little pawn emoji in, my autocomplete friend decided I wanted expandable, which I guess, unless it's the home guard, it is expandable as well. That would be Uh, an interesting different version of the Sylvester Stallone old people action movie. The expandables? Yeah. (laughs) I have to assume that it would be very similar to like a Stretch Armstrong film. That's the fantastic one. See, I was thinking expandable, like you can easily get more troops, like it's a clone army or something. <laughs> That's good, too. So, yeah, they said the, the title of the book. They said Oathbringer. We're done here. Uh, Oathbringer was the sword of Sadiz, one letter off of Sadius, interestingly. And Sadiz had the title of the Sunmaker, whatever that means. Uh, and Sadius is telling Dalinar, he's like, you should get married. Think of the political perks. And Dalinar's like, no, <laughs> no, marry, only kill. And no, Dalinar was like, kind of atrocious, you guys. No yep. politic, only murder. <laughs> there, there's a reason where they're like the Blackthorn. And then th- this, you're seeing, you're seeing it. Yep. Yeah, yeah. it's funny. It's because like you read Way of Kings and you see, you see his nickname, the Blackthorn. And you're like, Oh, yeah, Blackthorn, he's a force to be reckoned with. He's cool. And now you go back and you actually see the scenes of him being the Blackthorn. And you're like, no, that's like, that's a put down about yep. how blood frenzy he is. If this so, series were set 30 years earlier, Dalinar would be the big bad. Yep. <laughs> so in Way of Kings, he's a paladin. And in the flashbacks, he's a barbarian. Which is interesting because they have a, an alignment conflict because barbarians have to be non-lawful and paladins mm. have to be lawful. Good. Interesting. Well, now, he, now he has shard plate, though, so doesn't wouldn't that make him more of a dark knight? Well, okay, Excuse, now, now, now you're going they're called, Final Fantasy. They're called, dark, they're called blackguards in D&D. Excuse yeah. me. <laughs> no, I was going for FF4. Yeah, so, so. I knew where you were going. I was picking up. Oh, uh, so he's. Down. I'm sorry. Okay, so he's a dark knight that becomes a paladin, like Cecil, which is the canonical pronunciation, by the way. Yeah, like a robot from reboot. Like the and like Craig, the how do you say it? Reboot. I'm saying Cecil, and you can't change my mind. Yeah, same. I'm sorry. Just like in ten, it's Titus and not Titus. Titus. It one million percent is Titus. Yep. All right, so here's the thing about Cecil. 
I know three fictional characters named Cecil that all pronounce their name Cecil. Uh, there's Cecil, Cecil Harvey from FF4. There's Cecil, the waiter robot from Reboot. And he always corrected Bob. Bob always called him Cecil, and he always said it's pronounced Cecil. And then there's also Fraser's brother from The Simpsons. It's also Cecil. And the only person that calls him Cecil is Chief Wiggum, and he's an idiot. This would have been way funnier if you had just been like, I know three fictional Cecils, and they all, they're all they all named Cecil, Cecil, and Cecil. It's Cecil. Edit it so that I do say that. No, I'm the only other one I can think of is uh, Cecil from Welcome to Night Vale. All right, three to one. Let's go. Uh, what else happened in this chapter? Oh, okay, so we were discussing Barbarian versus uh, Blackguard or Death Knight or Dark Knight. So... Barbarians have heavy armor proficiency, don't they? Or do they only have medium armor proficiency? Um, in any version I've played, it's like they only go up to hide, generally. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Well, they're probably making more use of dexterity, I guess. Although oh, okay. in 4th in edition, you could just spend feats to get better armor. You just, generally, there were reasons not to. Alright, let's 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 go back to the book, because I don't have a lot of time. I don't want to talk D&D. Why did I even bring it up? Oh, about that. Yeah, in 3.5, it's light, medium, and shield. No heavy armor. I guess that was just, that was paladins, fighters, and I think clerics. Okay. Oh, all right. So he goes from barbarian that spent a feet. <laughs> heavy armor. Chapter 12, negotiations. Azir wants to play in the snow. What? Whatever. Uh, <laughs> Dave trying to figure out his own note. Oh. Bullet point. <laughs> I read it so confidently, too, but I have no idea what it means. Uh, Thalen McSassy Queen is friends, I think. That's what Navani says. Fen, uh, who I, I believe is Thalen McSassy Queen, Fen doesn't want the Zerg to build a Nidus canal in the middle of her city. Reverting to Queen speak, Elokar wants the scribes to witness something. It's Elokar's turn to go on a life-changing adventure with Kaladin. I just want to put out here, Fen is one of my favorite characters in this book. She's pretty cool. I like her because she's like, when she likes you, she's sarcastic. And when she doesn't, she's formal. I love that. It's like real life, at least in the restaurant environment of, you know, where I work. Kaladin. It's Elokar's turn to go on a life-changing adventure with Kaladin. Yay, someone responded positively to Dalinar's request. Wait, uh-oh, it's the dude who tried to kill him. Uh, so this scene takes place in, it's kind of like this uh, auditorium where the Radiants hang out and they have like, they have little pedestals for their spren to sit on while they're in their meetings. That's pretty cute. Uh, Azir wants to play in the snow. So the first they call Azir... And I'm sure they're not speaking directly with Gox, but um, he is the Prime Aqua Six. But um, he's probably not. Well, they're, they're, I don't think. Can, can Men in Azir are allowed to read. And they're allowed to. Gox, at this point, has had plenty of time to to be taught how to read, so right. presumably, yes. Yeah, because isn't, isn't that a point in Edge Dancer where Lyft is like, they tried to teach me how to read. Silly and then they were going to eat her. <laughs> but she wanted to eat pancake. Uh, what is what is that with the snow? You want to play I in the snow? No idea. I read these last night. I don't know, I man. Think what the heck does that mean? Craig, you haven't gotten this far. What does he mean? I don't know. Check the uh, check memory alpha. Check the what, copper what mind. Do, it's probably in there. What do you ask? I can't see your bullet notes. What? Azir wants to play in the snow. Is that like, did they have a sled or something? Yeah, or they... I, I don't know, man. All right. Um, so then they call up Phelan uh, and <laughs> so the sassy random. queen. Fen, Fen, she's all cool and sarcastic. But then, you know, I don't want to desert building a Nidus Canal in the middle of my apartment. I don't know about you guys. Uh, yeah, that's totally fair. <laughs> so, yeah, she's like, I could activate this Earth Gate. And you could send a bunch of soldiers in here to help us rebuild the city. But then you'd be able to send a bunch of soldiers here. And I don't know if I like that idea. And then, you know, she goes back to her formal queen speak, as Navani calls it. Like, well, we lost her in there somewhere. And, you know, those were the two main ones, Azir and Thalen. So they had oath gates and they were influential. And, you know, 
They're they're a little cold to Dalinar's invitation to have a, a council of kings meet in Erythru. But hey, someone someone does respond after we have a scene with Elokar. Elokar comes in and he I have no idea. This doesn't make any sense to me. So he still wants to be the king of Alethkar, but have Dalinar be the emperor and have like Dalinar rule all the kingdoms from Erythru or something. So like Elokar's not abdicating or stepping down as king of Alethkar, but he's still subjecting himself to Dalinar. So right, he's just creating a next level up. So who's gonna honor Dalinar's rule? It was just Elokar that put him there. That's. I guess I mean, Alethkar will. <laughs> Alethkar is the most powerful nation on the planet, so presumably they, I mean, not currently, their their capital has disappeared at the moment, but yeah. Yeah. Alethkar does dis- this. Not disappeared, it's just currently not in communication. Yeah, yeah functionally disappeared. Alethkar wants to go and uh, liberate Kolinar, and he wants to go with Kaladin, because... You know, who doesn't want to hang out with Kaladin if it means you can grow your arms back? Anyway, uh, if if Alethkar leads the way here, then yeah, that would... They're capable, under normal circumstances, of strong-arming weaker nations into <laughs> following this. Oh, kind of like how the Age of the High Princes, before they started uniting on the Shattered Plains. I gotcha. Uniting. That worked out great 30 years ago. Yep. So basically, Alethkar... Is keeping his position, but then creating a new position of emperor, appointing Dalinar, and now Dalinar is like the emperor of one nation <laughs> until they get other people uh, on board. So he's he's basically solidifying that Dalinar is the king of Urethiru, and mm-hmm. that the king of Urethiru should have like should be able to give orders to kings of other nations to like in coordinating. The war for the desolation. He doesn't limit it to that, but he's like, yeah, yeah, you're 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 the king, king, the super king, double king. Yeah, double. That's what I'm saying. It's Hi, like if, some, if the president of the United States were to be like, hey, this other guy's better qualified to be president than I am. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna nominate him super president, and I'll do what he says, but only when we're in a different country. It's like what. But anyway, Elokar is acknowledging that Dalinar should be ruling something. He's making steps, and he, you know, he does also want to uh, lead the force to go and, at le- you know, at least uh, go and open up the Oath Gate in Kolinar. And then somebody answers the span read, and it's Taravangian. And I don't exactly remember when he became king of Yakaved, but. I'm sure he had something to do with the murder in. And that's the end of chapter 12. Uh, so Teravangian became king of Yakoved near the end of the last book. Um, he, let's see, there was this big civil war, which was well, caused first he by... he murdered the other king. Well, it was caused by Zeth killing a bunch of high-level nobles and... Not the king. The king, he didn't kill yet. Uh, the king died yeah, the, in... the king was, like, injured and dying, and Teravangian was there with his doctors from his famous uh, Carbranthian hospitals uh, helping the wounded, and... Um, the wounded. Yeah, yeah and the, the dying king, like, summoned Teravangian, like, you were planning this all along, weren't you? Because they're, like, there was some distant relation, like, cousins or something, so, like, Teravangian had a legit claim to the throne... And the king's bastard son was there, like, this is a bad idea, but couldn't do anything about it because he's bastard. And um I wanna correct one thing that you said. Uh I wouldn't say Teravangian, you were planning this. I would say Teravangian, you did plan this on that one really good day you had. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. So Teravangian runs evil doctors without borders. Yeah. Basically. Doctors without order. Doctors I mean, the doctors, or- the doctors aren't evil, but the organization is, yeah. Uh, Mal eh. Medicine Sans Frontiers. Because <laughs> they, like, yeah. <laughs> they know what they're doing. When someone's, like, terminal, oh. they bring them somewhere else so they can record the words. It's not... I, I, well, I mean, they are good at what okay, they do. Yeah. They have yeah, had they a lot of malpractice. Yeah, there's some ethical concerns here. Guys... I, I don't think you heard, but Dave landed a malpractice joke. <laughs> I, I love said, it. 
They're good at what they do. They've had a lot of malpractice. Yep. Uh, chapter 13. Chapter 13 is titled Chapter 1. Shalon is practicing her veil impression. Adolin shows up with food, but oops, Shalon is naked. Pattern will make sure the children don't divide by zero. And I think there are some other mathematical operations that would be inappropriate as well. Spicy food is okay, just no spicy incident. If Pattern doesn't let them mate, how are they supposed to finish their game of Radiance chess? Shalon wants to talk about sand. <laughs> Gosh, does that meme ever get old? Uh, something, something, Arrested Development prison scenes. Oh. <laughs> So them just kind of looking into each other's eyes and Pattern yells, no mating. It reminded <laughs> me of uh, in Arrested Development. When no, touching. no touching. No, no touching. No touching. <laughs> I think Brandon must have watched Arrested Development. Because this is like, there's a Re Arrested Development reference in basically every book. I would not be surprised. So this chapter uh is this, this this is one where you're really missing out on the whole experience for not going audiobook uh -uh. i i never heard it so i guess um, i missed out too kate reading kate reading's pattern yelling no mating is is just an absolute delight her pattern voice is just amazing and this particular chapter is the pinnacle of the amazingness so I always pictured pattern with a male voice. Does what does it sound like? Women can act as male characters. Yeah, I, I do. Have you ever seen any cartoon? Yeah, I, it's it's definitely a male voice. I expect but... them to have a deep voice. Is what I'm saying. Oh no, it's kind of a vibrating, humming voice. Very buzzy. Okay, um, Dave, I have to say I'm super excited you finally got to this chapter. Oh. Because I've been wanting to do the no mating joke for ages, and I couldn't because you haven't read this chapter. But you're here now, so now we can always go no mating. And it's great. It's finally in the non-spoiler <laughs> area. Okay. I look forward to not mating with you too, Craig. <laughs> it's just a, a useful response occasionally. You know, just sometimes. I can't even remember. There was something that like, happened recently where no, I'm like, it's... I wish I could shout no mating, but I couldn't because you didn't read this yet. So I'm like, oh. Just about every time you make a wink fade out joke, no mating would also be appropriate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh, boy. Uh, I think the bullet points kind of covered it. Yeah, Shalon and Adolin had a cute date. It was it was pretty cute. My question. All right, I have a couple questions. All right. I have a few things here. So Shalon's door is broken. She just has this curtain. Um, I don't know if I would be comfortable sitting in my room. And she's not, like, naked. She's got a nightgown on and her safe hand is exposed. But I don't know how comfortable I would be, you know, if if I had considered nightgown and no safe glove naked. Like, I don't know how comfortable I would be being in a room that's just covered by a curtain and no door and no locks or anything. I wouldn't just be, like, chilling out in my room naked. With without there being at least Not a naked. door. She has a nightgown, and no one has doors. There are no doors, right? That's true. So I would like maybe have clothes on in my room. I don't know though. Maybe I wouldn't. Um, I she's also deep in a high prince's territory, so like nobody gets there unless they're invited there. Uh, I see. And my other thing is, you know, they they want Pattern here to be the chaperone. I mean, they could just open the curtain, couldn't they? Or, like, pin it up? Yes, I mean, but... It wouldn't, it wouldn't be sufficient, but I think they should do that as well. Okay, so Shalon had Pattern be the chaperone to appease Adolin and herself a little bit, but she also wanted to be able to get away with stuff that an actual chaperone wouldn't allow. As she said herself... Maybe a chaperone that believes everything I say isn't the most effective choice. Right, because these are teenagers. Well, isn't Adolin like twenty at this he's point? Like twenty. Well, it's he's um Roshar twenty. Okay, but yeah, these are yeah. Yep. Yeah. Actually, now that I think about it, so Roshar Roshar years are faster than Earth years. But do the humans on Roshar age at the same rate as um, humans Actually, are? it's Roshar days are shorter, but the years are longer. So it works. Like, the years are more days. It 
it works out to be pretty close. Okay, so the number of hours in a year is pretty close. I believe so. Craig, I I feel like you had a better handle on this than I did. Is that... Am I close? Um, I don't remember the exact difference, but yeah, they're they're older than, than what they say they are. So if they say they're like 20, in our case, they'd be like 22, 23, like that. Uh, I had it backwards then. And like, same thing with their height. They're actually taller than what you would expect. So their six foot is like our seven foot. Well, not again. I don't know the ratio, but something like that. Well, that doesn't matter. That's just that's relative. So Kaladin yeah. is just this like weird gangly dude. Sure. But everything else around him is taller too. Yeah, it's like that it, episode of Pinky and the Brain where they had the the ray that made everything giant. Never mind. <laughs> forget that. Chapter fourteen's fast though. Uh, all right, chapter fourteen. Squires can't capture except diagonally one space forward. For this chapter, I have a single bullet point. Voidbringers is people too, you know. Uh, so we cut back to Kaladin, and he finds a camp of uh, Voidbringers slash Parshendis slash Parshmen, and they're playing cards and they're eating sacks of soaked grain. And Kaladin's like, they're like people. I could go in and murder everyone. But instead, he submits himself as their prisoner. And that's chapter 14. Yeah, I don't really have anything here. Nope. Kaladin was intimidated by their primitive weapons. Yeah, their sticks. Yep. I actually imagine... I, 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 <laughs> I imagine Breath of the Wild while reading this. You come up <laughs> on a camp of bow goblins and they just like pick up sticks off the ground and attack you with them. Yep. But it's really early in the game, so all you have is a tree branch, too. <laughs> Alright, chapter 15. Brightness Radiant. Adolin has a hacky sack. Maybe there are two different murderers. Why did Shalon have to kill her mom? Uh, I actually forgot, so we'll come back around. Uh, where do baby shard plates come from? Adolin wants to have a sword fight with Shalon. So does Pattern. Where do baby blade guards come from? Shalon falls asleep, but not until after I finish reading the chapter. Uh, so yeah, highlight of this chapter, Adolin has a hacky sack. That's pretty cool. How is Babby formed? <laughs> no mating. Wait, mating. <laughs> Someone needs to go back to wink, fade out, ed, education. All right, so part of, if their date was dinner and investigating a murder... So Adolin really wants to find this other murderer, and he's so sure that it's a different person than the person that murdered Sadius. Why doesn't he How just... How does he know? How can he know for sure, though? I don't know. Maybe, because, like, maybe Adolin killed the other guy and forgot. So, hang on. Why doesn't he just... If he's not going to fess up to the murder of Sadius, he should be trying to say that it's the same person so he can pin both murders on this other person. He's not being very smart. But he is being honest. Honester. Okay, sort one of. one of Adolin's key characteristics is not very smart. <laughs> but, but, uh, he admits that like when he first meets Salon, right? A very nice figure wearing a dueling tank top and fashion magazines. So yeah. he's a Adolin's Adel a himbo. Yeah. So why did, all right, so I forget why Shalon killed her mom. Was her mom like cheating on her dad? Um uh, or was that just part of the stories of that's why everyone thought the dad killed you her? You don't have that information yet. Uh, okay. I thought I forgot it cuz I figured it would have come up in Words of Radiance since that's that's the book where we get the Shalon flashbacks. No, you not. know why Shalon killed her dad, but you well, have yeah. very little information on why she killed her mom. I see. But that okay, so this is this is news to me. I knew that she killed her mom, but I did I I guess I assumed it was an accident. And now I'm like, she said she had to kill her mom. What's why did she have to kill her mom? Correct. And I, I got it right to Rafa. All right. So, good answer. You, you knew she killed her mom from back in Way of Kings, but you had no other details. You got a few more details in Words of Radiance, mostly about how she killed her dad and post-mom death stuff. And yeah, this is this is the first new new thing this about is a new mom revelation. The, a new revelation that her killing her mother was something that she thought she had to do. Okay. 
Uh, so where do baby shard plates come from? We know where shard sword blades blades come from, but what about the plates? Are they? What are do they you invested? think, Dave? Oh, I meant to ask back. Is the thrill investiture? What do you think, Dave? Sort of. One question at a time. Is the thrill investiture? I'm gonna say yes because it's capitalized. I'm gonna I'm gonna answer sort of, kind of a little bit, Guard not really, sort of. but maybe. I'm gonna just go with Rafo. Oh, what if it's investiture from Odium? Okay, next question. Where do baby shard plates come from? What do you think, Dave? Yeah, you well, should you should have enough information at this point to make a guess, and we're not going to tell you whether or not that's right, but I'd like to hear where your thoughts are. Well, they're powered by Stormlight. We know that much. They they aren't summoned and dismissed like shard blades. I mean, I guess they can be summoned and rebuilt with Stormlight. Uh... What's the opposite of a cognitive shadow? A a physical bladder? A dead body. A spiritual light. Yeah, so the shard blades are dead. Or the shard blades are spren, but then, like, I guess the shard plates could also be spren. There's some kind of cognitive. Oh. Okay, you should continue talking. Yeah, I like where this is going. So, shard so shard uh so spren are like i'm confused all right so i was thinking here's my line of thoughts shard blades are spren spren are living entities in the cognitive realm of of ideas so but there isn't really anything in the cosmere that's not living like even a stick or a rock is living in the sense that it has a you know a cognitive everything uh, has a mind portion and some spiritual aspect as well yeah, even even inorganic material has exists in the cognitive and spiritual realms at least okay cognitive. but is a stick really living if it doesn't become fire yes <laughs> it is a stick so what separates a, a like a cultivation spread from a stick well oh i know where they come from the farmers make them like uh like wendell is uh he like he farms chairs or whatever so there's a farmer, there's a sprint out there that farms shard plate, shard plate. Okay, so I don't think this is spoilers, but sprin are essentially investiture that 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 they're one, they're heavily invested entity that have started developing a mine and form sentience on their own. Sentient. Um that's that's what sprint are, whereas physical objects just happen to have a mine. It's it's very basic. I mean, we talked to the stick before. He has three words. It's his being is I am contraction. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought it was I'm a stick. I am stick root. I'm a stick. But yeah, so that's sort of what we're dealing like that. That is a big difference. Um, It's it's essentially the amount of investiture that's stored within the entity. Um, Yeah. Did that answer my question? Oh, I'll have to asked, think about it. I'll think you about asked it. What the on. difference between a stick and a spread were, and that—that that was my answer. <laughs> now, my question was, where do baby shard plates come from? Oh no, I didn't answer that. That's up to you to figure out. You don't know either. Sure, yeah, I totally don't know. Adolin wants to have a sword. For, all right, so Adolin's like, uh, you know, I have a shard blade. It would be cool if, like, we had a sword fight, babe. And then she's like, well, <laughs> I don't, I don't like summoning my shard blade because, like. Kind of killed my mom with it. She doesn't tell Adolin that, but that's what she's thinking. And she's like, oh, I'll become a new persona that isn't afraid to summon her shard blade. And she becomes Brightness Radiant, basically using Yasna as a model, uh, including certain physical features, which I'm not really sure why Brandon brought it up, but, you know, it's there. Um, Pattern is like, yeah, we need to do this. We need to we need to have this sword fight. You need to summon me as a shard blade girl, and you know she does the little bladey brilliance, and you know she's not she's not getting the the feel of the sword fight in this form. So then she switches to like Adolin form <laughs> or something, uh, and then she does much better. And she had such a good time, and she got so tired from her date that she actually fell asleep she was having trouble sleeping but now she's not and also where do baby blade guards come from i've never actually thought about this but you have the the blade guards that they use for sparring 
but how come what doesn't the short blades don't cut through the blade guards? Why is that? I think we got an explanation on this, but I do not remember how it worked. They're made out of, like, living vines. And since the vines are living, the shard blades can't cut them. And since the heart is stored in a phylactery, they can't kill the living vines either. It's it's, it's probably just invested in some way. It could just be a fabrile. Or it's like an aluminum aluminum alloy. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah, it's uh, an inert metal. Nope. Aluminum is not inert. Aluminum is actively anti-investiture. Oh. Unless it's used as a catalyst for inv- for specific forms of investiture, which it can also do. You mean like burning aluminum? <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. But, yeah, I don't actually remember, but I would guess that this is just some aluminum some sort. alloy that makes it more malleable, and so it can be, like, formed. So, why don't they just have aluminum armor in battle because most people don't have shard blades also because aluminum armor would be terrible against everything else and they don't have (laughs) electricity so actually getting aluminum is extremely difficult and expensive it's possible it's just talking about they don't have electricity they have a big old storm of electricity that comes every week that's but Dude, not this that's week. Like it's back sleeping. to the future. We need to harness a <laughs> lightning bolt because we can't do nuclear power. It works that's, for them. That's what it is. Spoiler. Yeah, spoilers for a thirty-year-old movie, forty-year-old movie. Oh, yeah. five. I and then I. That's when my my wife was born. I was forty. Anyway, eighty-five. That's when I was born. <laughs> that's true. You were the same age. No mating. Well, guess. <laughs> All right. Anyone have anything else to say about anything? I do. So one. Dave, have you taken a good look at the cover to Oathbringer? Like, you know who that is? You know, I assumed it was Yasna, but now I'm thinking it might be Vale. It's it's Yasna. Okay. Uh, yes. Uh, yes, it's Yasna. Well, so remember last book where we didn't know if she lived or died? And yet here she is on the cover of the third book. Imagine having the box set and you see the cover. It's like looking at the cover of uh, Well of Ascension and being like, we're going to get that Buster Sword. Yep, that's. I remember you doing that. <laughs> um, the second thing. Oh, I that mention, was a spoiler for for its own book. So that was a that was worse. This is at least a sequel. That's true. Like by yes, this point, when the book was released, you knew she she lived because you know you read the end of Words of Radiance. As, as, assuming, but um, the second thing I wanted to talk about, uh, your brother brought up in our episode discussion discord channel um he, he likes to pop into the spoiler section because he likes to talk about things that you're not supposed to know about i guess but he's reading at the same pace as you so he's he's gonna get spoiler spoiled if he hangs out in there um by the way side note guys if you want to join our discussion you can join our discord uh there's a link at our patreon just go to patreon.com slash um and there's a link to the discord there and come join us and hang out and chat uh, we talk about the episodes. We have a spoiler section that Dave's not allowed to read. Uh, we also just talk about fun things like the good things that we have mentioned. We typically have a link in there. And uh, also board games because we've been playing on PGA recently. So that's and, what's happening. And there's a channel for dad jokes that you can post so that Craig can be exposed to more dad jokes. Hey, Although, I did my, ba- my dad joke earlier today. We are yes, good. Yes, Craig did something earlier before we started recording that I'm extremely proud of. Uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, so he asked about spannerites, um, and specifically about the quote from chapter 12, as if the emperor and his ministers could hear his passion through the written word. And he's basically asking the mechanics of spannerites. Um, so something to keep in mind, and, and this was a response, they do have, uh, the scribes themselves will typically put some kind of text in there that isn't meant to be read out loud but to convey the type of emotion or something like that um i like to think of it closer to either footnotes or also like um screenplays where you might have information that details the scene or the emotion in this case um that's typically written there just because women are the one who are reading the well, scribes uh and women typically they're female uh at least for the lethe they uh yeah, they'll just they'll just hit hit a meaning and subtext in there. So that 
definitely is a thing. We don't know how old span reads are. They appear to be fairly recent. Uh, it seems like it's a recent invention and not like we're not talking like soul casters here. We're, we're talking like something newish. But they're old enough to be extremely widespread. Like every city has span rights. I mean, it's essentially the Internet, except medieval slash Renaissance era. I'm pretty internet. sure I saw this kind of thing in Harry Potter. <laughs> so um, so with regards to the undertext, um, in some cases, it's very similar to um, Alamancer Yak's uh, yeah. Terrasman notes. Uh, in some cases, it's like directly undermining the actual text if the if the scribe disagrees with it. And in some cases, it just adds, you know, they're adding extra information of, like, this is the sort of tone, this is the, like, emotion, this is the intent. So was that all you had, Craig? Or the non-spoiler section, yes. Mm. Okay. So then, are yeah, we kicking Dave out? Hey, bye, Dave. Bye. Bye, Dave. Dave is gone. Play the thing. This concludes the spoiler-free section of our podcast. If you are, as I am, reading along for the first time, we recommend that you stop listening now, as the following will contain spoilers for not only this book, but for other Cosmere books as well. There may also be general spoilers from any other source material. Spoilers begin now. All right, what you got? So, um... No mating. <laughs> thank, thank you, Tori. Uh, there's actually quite a bit in here. Um, one... I was confused by by Tori's text in the Discord, but I can hear it in your voice. Like I know how you sound. So uh, this was in response to chapter the the flashback chapter chapter eleven. Uh, I think Dave said something like like the yeah Dalinar Dalinar got his got his shard blade by murdering that six year old child. And uh-huh. then I hear in Tori voice. Yep, that's what I hear in Tori voice. I'm like Dalinar definitely murdered that ch- child. Uh huh. Like that's that's my Tori voice in my head. So Dalinar is like super sad and down not because he killed a kid but because he didn't kill a kid like he's ashamed that he didn't murder a child how could he this is this is past dalinar's character you guys yeah. he's he's like sad and ashamed because he didn't murder a child well okay but this child is his enemy and he knows it's going to cause problems later and that his brother expected him to kill the child yes. so dalinar's a good guy for not doing it yep but he feels guilty for not doing it i'm all about him not doing anything gavilar's like that's yes. already that's a good thing anything gavilar did is bad so yeah that, that's and good especially, but, especially after navani's viewpoint chapters in rhythm of war yep. i'm like yeah gavilar can go jump off a cliff no 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 yeah, dalinar did. did that um Look at add, that with a sharp plate add to this the fact that like sadius is a million percent on board mm-hmm. with with gavilar and like is trying to steer dalinar into into being in the in group and that's Sadius. That's Sadius, yep. you guys. He his character didn't change over time. That that's a good point. Like that's the big difference. Sadius is what happens if he was like the person in the past and never changed. He went on and followed Gavilar and kept doing the way things were. Whereas Dalinar evolved and realized that he messed up. Like he he was a scary dude. Dalinar had one moment of insight that was reinforced by magic brain surgery basically mm. like yeah. without without that intervention from um cultivation, cultivation i don't think we'd have current dalinar i think we'd still have past dalinar who drinks more basically mm. okay i would agree to that point but i don't think i don't think we'd get the one that we see in the, like this flashback like this is pre um eve dot Evie. wait Evie, sorry um like the Pokemon. This was pre-her death. So that hit him hard. I think, yes, he would be an alcoholic and and just very depressed. I mean, that that's sort of how he was. Um, I think he was in the process of changing. Now, you can see it from this particular flashback. He doesn't kill the kid. Something that Gavilar would have done because that kid will become a threat. So, like, he he's changing. It's just very slow. A few things have to happen. He has to... I mean, the, the the tragic event that we're going to read about later on in this book, uh, his meeting with Cultivation and 
of course, starting to get the message from from Stormfather's uh, honors answering machine. Um, okay, so let me, I guess, explain my my viewpoint a little better. Um, so Dalinar has a pattern of behavior of whenever bad things happen, he leans into his addictions, right? Okay. Yeah. So I'm proposing. He was proposing... leaning into the thrill. He was leaning into the alcohol. Right. So I'm proposing that without cultivation's intervention, after after the death of Gavilar that hit him super hard, without that intervention, he just goes deeper into alcoholism and the thrill, and the thrill is way better than alcoholism, so he goes full warlord, and yeah, the 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 war on the Shattered Plains ends way faster. Mm. I mean, I do like the, the, the point you made earlier where... If this book took place 30 years ago, Dalinar is the villain. And and yeah, that's have... totally the setup. That's that's the, the hint that the book's giving to you. When when Odium comes to try to claim Dalinar as his champion, that's that's what we're worried about. Like, this is what it's going to be. And when it's not oh, that scene, guys, that's another gives me chill scene. You cannot have my pain. Oh, so good. So, yeah. What is the most important step a man can take? The next the one. The next one. Mm, those are good words man there's so many good words guys so many good messages and also so good no mating (laughs) no me all right so yeah that's that's dalinar um now the people are talking in our in our discord and like i felt like it wasn't really a big mystery who's writing the the words this is dalinar's book like every character gets their own book this is dalinar's story and I think it's very appropriate that the words are his like this. This is Oathbringer, um, his book, Oathbringer and our book, Oathbringer. So I don't think it's a mystery, but uh, it's funny that uh, the the first time readers in our channel, they think it's Yasna, which I think is a good guess. Well, Dan also guessed um, that it might be Seti's the Sunmaker. Mm, yes, that's a good guess, too, which he's calling the Sun King because he's and i quote a fan of historical french fiction mm-hmm, and there's mm-hmm. there's definitely some influence there like some inspiration um yeah. yes so i noticed a thing in the reading this week that pattern uh says to shalon yes that's that's her name uh says to shalon it's okay you can kill me they'll send you another spren yep which dang i did not realize we had that this early yep that's that's hard, man. That's hard. I feel so bad. So Talon I did. I really wanted. I need to know how much Pattern knows at this point. Like, is he fully informed at this point? Like, has he fully regained all of his memories? Or I feel like he knows that Shalon killed her previous friend. Well, yeah, he would have known before they sent him out to become her new friend. But has he remembered it in this realm yet? Mm-hmm. That's that's my question because he's kind of acting. Like both, like last week we talked about uh, the line to Shalon of, you know, I'm sorry I helped you kill your mom. Tori, you had the point of he then followed that up with, yes, that's a good lie. And so he's talking about what he said instead of what Shalon said, which I, yeah, I don't know. I'm confused. Right. Yeah. I need an adult to tell me what this friend knows. I there aren't any adults here. I want to know too. There's. Still so much. We got Shalon's book. Last, it was last book. And we still don't know so much about her. This this book's going to raise... Let's talk about Shalon real quick. Um, Since we have the creation of Radiant, like, that yep. she pops up. New persona made. New persona. So uh, we're up to Veil and Radiant. We haven't shattered into thousands of Shalons yet, but no. that's coming. We have the three names. Shalon, Radiant, Veil. We have the three. And Radiant, Here they are. Radiant is done by the end of next book. Yes. No. no, no. Well, yeah. you think by... It's explicitly stated in Rhythm of War that Radiant is Radiant is done. Radiant is re-acclimated. No, Veil is... No, Veil's still around. No, Veil's the one who goes... Yeah, I thought it was Veil. Did I get that backwards? You I... got it backwards, you might man. Why, did, why would she keep Radiant in... Because so what Vale was doing a lot in Rhythm of War, like she was taking over a lot and doing a lot of things that Shalon herself wasn't aware of. So it was sort of like 
she she was created for Shalon to deal with certain things, and she was taking charge of that. And and Pattern, of course, was aware of this, and he had to hide that he knew that Shalon was like. I think he was just confused because he's not fully aware when Shalon just changes uh identities. Um, so I think he was just sort of confused, like you were the that's, one who did that action. But anyway, it was because, always fail because like Adolin knows. Adolin can immediately spot it. Sure. Yeah, I would think that Pattern would Adel- also be able Adelin's to tell. Adolin's very good with people. He's like he knows and reads and talks with people. So I I'm not surprised Adolin knows. Pattern is still you know, a baby Spren. I mean he's not he's he's an adult ish in terms of Spren, but he's also new at the physical world. But he's also bonded with her in a way that yeah. like Adolin isn't. Like he has access to information that Adolin doesn't have, but Adolin knows. Gah. Anyway, the point is Vale fully was fully reabsorbed at the end of Rhythm of War. Not Radiant. Radiant is still around. Okay. But she's never been a very strong presence. I've always felt like Radiant was sort of the the lesser of the three. Well, yeah, like by she, a lot. She was very competent. She's very competent. Um, but yeah. So hopefully she just sort of gets reabsorbed as needed rather than like the whole big thing with Vale, which was sort of traumatic reabsorption. Um, here, I'll even read the Coppermine wiki. Uh, she remembers her first Sprint Testament. Shalon reintegrates with Vale as she remembers her memories and trauma associated with Testament. Okay, I had that backwards. Anyway, so yeah, we have Radiant. Radiant is great. The, the, this book in general, like it's funny because Shalon was the last book, but I feel like there's a lot of Shalonness in in this, like, there's a lot she has to do. She has to deal with the unmade that's currently in Aretharu. Um, Then she goes off with um, with the group to deal with Kulinar and, and deal with that unmade. Yeah, she's the pair in a very real sense. Like this is this is also her book, like more yeah. than Dalinar's book. Dalinar gets the flashbacks, but Shalon is yes, like you said, and in, in charge of in this first part dealing with the unmade in the tower, and mm-hmm. then later on. She's she's sort of in charge of half of the plot in Kolinar. Yeah. The other half being Kaladin joining the wall guard and right. meeting up with uh Azure. Yeah. Azure. Air quotes. Yeah. Azure. Azure. Certainly not someone else that we know from a different book. <laughs> we'll see how long it takes Dave to find out. Should we take bets on that? How long will it take for Dave to figure out who that is? I think despite my best efforts to spoil him, I still don't know that he's picked up that Vasher is... Um, he has no idea. He yeah. has no clue. And man, I accidentally tried... <laughs> I accidentally tried to spoil him on that so hard. <laughs> right. Yep. Yeah, he doesn't know. Uh, so that'll be fun. Um, there was like one other thing I had for the this series of chapters. Uh, talking about the... Um, the the void bringers the parchment be becoming just regular folks no i wasn't talking i mean if you want to talk about it go for it i mean it's we've covered it before but yeah the yeah. the the awakened parchment become basically like they gain identity to wherever they physically are yeah. so they basically become like a a caricature of people from whatever country that is Oh, so is that your take on it, or does the book sort of explicitly say that? Because I just thought they were, I mean, if you think about it, they, they lived a life. They wasn't much because they, they were lacking their identity, um, but they were still exposed to a certain geographical region, the people. Um, yes, they would but... have heard accents and everything like that. I thought it was just natural for them once they gained their identity that it would just be how they essentially lived and were raised, that sort of thing. It's Except that as we see with them trying to play the card game, they didn't really actually take that stuff in. Like, they're aware that mm. they should know those things, right? but they didn't actually take any of that in. I think the reconnecting of their identity is, is really the driving force here, where the Alethi attack, right? Yeah. The, the Azish, you know, they negotiate and want to do contracts. Okay. The uh the Thalen, you know, they they go and take the fleet of ships. Right. It's just that's an interesting uh point. But but yeah, I I feel like that's that's more like the the identity 
taking hold of like yeah where where physically are you and what does everyone think people from that region are like that's what you're right. like now <laughs> so um just a question for you guys because i don't really remember do do i know we know that Teravangine is was the one who was orchestrating the whole thing like we know that now like dave as in dave's knowledge do the main characters at this point in the story know that Teravangian orchestrated all this? Absolutely not. And in fact, we're going to have several scenes of Dalinar and Teravangian hanging out and being king friends. Okay, that's I, I wasn't sure when exactly that gets discussed, but it's going to happen this book then. And Teravangian keeps trying to like talk Dalinar into a ends justifies the means ruling philosophy. Yep. It's a whole thing. I remember that. It... it it's funny, now that we've ri read Rhythm of War and we know that Teravangian becomes ODM. Hey, major spoilers, guys, by the way. Um, it's okay, we're in the spoiler section. It is. Um, oh so, no. So he becomes ODM. Look at his philosophy. Like, throughout this book, especially, we get a good discussion um, about his viewpoint the whole ends justify the means, whereas Dalinar is journey before destination. Like, they are two opposing ends. Like, it has been set up for a while that Teravangian is going to be at direct odds with Dalinar. Um, I, he's I think going to have a lot of power. It's best displayed in, and I assume we're going to get this pretty soon, uh, they talk about, like, a, a theoretical situation, a hypothetical situation of, you know, there are four people, one of them definitely committed a murder. You have no way to know which one did it. And Teravangian's answer is hang all four. Yep. Yep. That That's the Teravangian way. So it's sort of scary that he holds a shard now. Just saying. So Teravangian's solution to the, to to the trolley problem is double track drifting. <laughs> he's, he's, he's Michael. He's essentially, how can we effectively kill all these humans? <laughs> They're probably oh guilty gosh. of something. Guys, I, just thinking about it, though, like with this discussion and everything, I am I am a little scared that Teravangian holds Odium. Like, one, he holds a shard. Two, he holds a super scary shard that's all about passion and hatred. He It is it is God's divine justice, only without the the justice part attached to it without like without honor or mercy or whimsy yep that is scary and and teravangian is the one who holds that now oh man so hey, odium what if, okay odium kills whimsy takes both shards what? now now we're executing people with anvils falling from the sky i want this <laughs> so we essentially have looney tune <laughs> the hatred Looney Tune S Kate, what would that be? That's so funny. Elmer anyway, Fudd. Guys, That's pay Elmer special Fudd. attention to this book, especially listen to Teravangian. Now that we know so much more from Rhythm of War, we I want to pay special attention to the Teravangian scenes because you get to find out the kind of person he is, his sort of plan that he has for um the people around him and Roshar. Just just pay attention to this because honestly. We're also going to have discussions with Odium um, Rays, I should say. We are going to see that in this book. And it's sort of unimportant now because he's he's a character, yes, and he has a certain motivation. But dude's going to be dead next book. So what Rays says and what his motivations are sort of don't really matter so much as a lens for showing what Odium the intent actually is. Um, so you get a little bit of that. But yeah, pay, pay attention to Terabandian. Yeah, at at this point, Rays barely exists in the same way that like AT and Laris barely existed when we saw them in Mistborn, right? In the like, like in the trilogy. Yeah, like it's at this point, it's, it's all the more... shard at this point, right? Yeah, yeah. A AT's personality was yeah ruins personality by that. Like point. there, there's there might be a little bit of the person left, but not nearly enough to affect anything that the shard does. Honestly, this goes for all of the old shards that we experience. Like, uh, I think we get a couple scenes of cultivation. That's the same thing. She's more the intent of cultivation now than whatever she was back on Yolin. Um, so keep that in mind. Whenever we see any of these older shard holders, they're more intent Maybe. than people. B. So cultivation is held by a dragon, and that That's might true. change things. We don't know anything about dragons yet. 
she could survive. It's still going to be hard, though. Uh, essentially, when you become a shard holder, you're a cognitive shadow holding a massive amount of investiture. Like, that's sort of what a shard holder is. And it's very easy for the shard, uh, sorry, for the cognitive part of that cognitive shadow to be just overwritten by the investiture. That's essentially what's happening. It's so much investiture with a certain intent behind it. Maybe her cognitive self is a little stronger. So you have a good point. She might still be more herself, but at least the human type character shard holders that we've seen are pretty much all intent at this point. Right. I do wonder at the, like, the time frame of how long that takes. So I assume that Sazed is a special case because he he's holding two shards that are actively yep. fighting each other yep. and may not have much At least in his left. mind they're actively fighting each other. Right. They may not have much influence left to like steer him. So yep. him still mostly being him after 3 centuries could definitely be an outlier. Mm. We don't but, know. Yeah, we don't know. We're going to see how long it takes Teravangi into warp. Could Brandon just, like, one time give us a typical example of a thing before giving us the weird one? Like, once? So that, like, we can understand the baseline and then we see the weird version? Mike, one time. I think, I think that's the point. One I time, the, Brandon. I think that's the point. You don't know it's weird until you're told it's weird. Renarin is weird, and you don't know it's weird until much, much later. A fun time. Anyway, that's all I had. Lesai. Well, it, uh, it kind of simplifies things because anytime we encounter something new, we can just be like, oh, we're going to find out later that that's not normal. Yeah, but the trick is like, how is it not normal? Right? Right. Like, we we know that something's weird about it, but, but we don't know in what way it differs from the standard. And and that's that's the bit I need. Anyway, I'm out of stuff. Tori, you got anything? No, I don't have anything. Craig? I'm done. Cool. All right. That's an episode, everybody. Bye. Bye. Good night, Internet. This has been the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at, at CosmereCast or like us on Facebook. Our theme music is Traveling Made Up Continents by Gillicuddy, used with permission. Hear more from him at the Free Music Archive. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.